Um, so this morning, uh, I'm going to speak on a very familiar uh, text, and it's the woman at the well. But the, the uh, title is The Miracle Water. Miracle Water. <laughs> of course, we know there's no such thing as miracle water. Now, if you are buying water at the store, you can purchase tap water, mineral water, glacier water. Did you know, we were, whenever we were in um, British Columbia, is that where we were at? We were over in the farthern part of Canada, you know, state of Washington, north above there. And we were going uh, on a train ride up to um, Blackcomb, British Columbia, the ski slope. It was in the middle of the summer, so it wasn't skiing. But anyhow, the train went along this um, creek, and the water was blue as blue could be. I mean, I never saw water like this. And I asked the guy, I said, why is it so different? He said, that's glacier water. The water off of glaciers is entirely different than the water in our streams. You know, because it's coming from the glaciers that have been, uh, have been um, there for thousands of years. So anyhow, it was a very, there was a different composite in, in the water, and it just like was blue. So anyhow, there's glacier water, there's sparkling water, <laughs> there's distilled water, there's purified water, there's flavored water, there's infused water, there's an alkaline water, and there's water water. <laughs> Seawater is not in there, was, you know, salt water. Didn't put that one in there, so. But anyhow, whenever we're thinking about, you know, water and we're putting those in perspective, um, well, the scripture that I first want to read is John 4, 13 and 14. It says, But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will come, will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So, the water, miracle water that we are speaking about is the water that, as it were, that he is the water of the word, the purifying water of God. And it is, it is the presence of God, is Jesus Christ. And that is the water of life. So um, that's where we're, we're going with all this. I, I'm not selling holy water today. <laughs> you, know, you know, send your contributions and I'll send you a veil, uh, uh, not a veil, a uh, vase, not a vase. Anyhow, a little container of water. Uh, I'm not doing that. So. But the idea is that this water that God offers us is, is, a, it is, it is a cleansing water. And the, also in the book of Revelation, it talks about from the throne of God, the water comes through, the, uh, through heaven and the, the trees are planted by the river and that they bear fruit every season, you know. And they're always, their leaf never, never withers and never dries up because the river of life is there. So there are many symbols of water and how that God is the living water. And if we drink of him, we'll never thirst again. It's speaking spiritually. But in John chapter 4, verse 1, excuse me there, uh, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. So as we look at this, already Jesus has just begun his ministry, and already there's opposition. There's opposition from the uh, Pharisees that they resent his popularity. (laughs) 
the, the Pharisees were the elite group, and they, they were the ones who were the attention seekers, and they had it, you know. They dressed in royal robes. They, they, they presided over the affairs of, of Israel, especially over Jerusalem and the temple, and, you know, so everybody had to look up to them. Well, now there's someone more popular than them, and, of course, it was Jesus. And uh, it wasn't time for a confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees, so he left. And one of the, um, one of the challenges that you look at this particular text, and it says, and now he had to go through Samaria. Um, in the King James, it says, Jesus says, I must needs go through Samaria. So there, in the providence of God, there was a purpose for him to go to Samaria. Now, to go from Jerusalem to Galilee to take the shortest route was to go through this area called Samaria. Well, Jews and Samaritan, the Samarians didn't get along. Um, the, we've discussed it before. The, the Samaritans were the, a, group of Is, a group of Jewish people who were left after the Babylonian captivity, you know, the Babylonians came in and took all, everybody that was important, they just left bits and pieces of Jewish people there, not bits and pieces like arms and legs, but individuals, <laughs> you know, individuals they left in, in that area. And so the Assyrians, who were also part of the Babylonian Empire, they were in the northern part of, of, of Israel, and so they, they came with their groups to repopulate uh, what was vacated by the, the Jewish people when they went to Babylon. Well, these Assyrians intermarried with the, the Jews who were there, and brought, of course they brought their gods and things along with them. Well, a pure fellow Jew <laughs> who uh, had intermarried then with these other individuals were considered uh, bitter rivals because they had uh, forsaken their nation. They had betrayed their nation. So they were despised by the, the, the Jewish people who could prove their lineage. Well, these individuals, uh, they were descendants of, of, of Jacob, of Israel, but they had intermarried in the, the Jewish people uh, who were, could trace their heritage back to Abraham <clears throat> and uh, didn't have any of these uh, intermarriages going on they were considered the elite or the, the pure race. So he came to the town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus had to go through Samaria. So he's traveling this road. And he came to this place known as Jacob's well. Now this well was on the property originally owned by Jacob. So I mean, it's a legitimate a legitimate historical site. Um, that's one of the things in Israel you can uh, tell what is a legitimate historical site by the wells. <laughs> the wells are still there. <laughs> you know, um, I remember whenever we were touring, you know, going around Israel, there would be churches over, you know, sites that they had thought were the, um, like the birthplace of Jesus. There are two churches on the same, over the same cave. <laughs> you have the cave divided in half. And um, so they, that is a, a want-to site, you know. Um, they don't know for sure. So there are some sites that are there that are 
historical sites that are legitimate sites, and they can prove that this is, this is the place. Like, okay, so Jacob's well is Jacob's well. <laughs> it was, um, this well was important because, in, of course, in the arid climate, um, <laughs> you needed water. And the well was located outside of town. And, you know, you think of that as, I think of that as a, as a good idea because travelers who, who come down the road, they don't have to come into your town, <laughs> you know, to get water. They can get it right there at Jacob's well. But in this time, this case, the women, who was their responsibility, you know, women, it's what they should do. <laughs> Just kidding, you know. Uh, the women were the ones who would bring water, and so twice a day the, the ladies would come from their, from their homes and, and bring jars out to the well and draw water and then take it back to their homes for the, the, the day or, or for the evening. And so they would come twice each day. In verse 6, Jesus, uh, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Now, again, this is a very important uh, declaration. It was noontime. Well, the, all the women came in the morning or evening and not noon because it was too hot and it was, you know, just uh, unbearable. You know, we were in Missouri and uh, it was 98, you know, 100, close to 100. I was hot, <laughs> you know, and this hot would be 110. Uh, you know, it could get really really warm, so they would stay out of the heat, especially in the daytime. But the woman in this text that we are reading about, she, would, she came at noon, and uh, she, didn't wanna, she did not want to meet all these people. You know, she didn't want to be, you know, hear the scorning and all the, the stuff that they had to say about her. So Jesus came there under the divine providence of God. I must needs go through Samaria. Why? There's somebody there that I have to meet. Hmm. So, verse 7. When the Samaritan woman came to draw water, uh, Jesus said to her, now, this in itself is taboo. <laughs> it is taboo. It doesn't, you know, a Jew does not talk to a Samaritan. They are beneath them. You know, they are, you know, they wouldn't even can begin to con a conversation but Jesus said to the woman, will you give me a drink? <laughs> you know, his disciples had gone to town to buy food. And so when Jesus met this woman, he asked her the question, will you give me a drink? And right away, what he's doing is he's confronting her prejudices. He doesn't have any prejudice. It's her, and, you know, and knowing or unknowingly, deserved or undeserved, she's prejudice against Jews, and most Jews, 99.9% .9 of them, would have been the same way back to her, but not Jesus. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask, see, how can you ask me for a drink? Jews don't associate with Samaritans. So her first response in, in, res in responding to Jesus is, Let's erect the barriers, okay? Now, one of the purposes, I, I think, of this message is that we would realize that it is our responsibility when we meet people 
In certain places, at certain times, it's like, whoa, there's this crossroads. <laughs> we've, we've intersected here, and uh, what am I going to do? <laughs> well, the first thing we do is we talk to them about Jesus. And right away, you don't talk to me about God. You know what our past is. You know what our prejudices are. You know the experiences that I've had. And, and, and that's what she says. She, she erects the barriers. How can you ask me for a drink? You know, you've been putting us down for hundreds of years, and now you're going to come and ask me for a drink? Well, verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and this is the, the challenge that when we're talking to people and they erect the barriers, we talk to them about the gifts. The gift of God. You see, whenever we are, whenever we have accepted Christ, that we have the gift of God in our life. You have a gift. You have the most precious gift in all of the world. If you lose that gift, lose your own, what does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul? So the gift that we have in Christ is more valuable than the, the wealth of the entire world. If you knew the gift, and it is a gift of God. So she's got the barriers, and Jesus doesn't confront the, the challenges of the past, of, of, the, of the barriers that have been elected, erected, and the Jewish people who probably have hurt her and her family and her, her community. He's not, gonna, he's not going to try and heal all of those wounds. He's telling her, I have a gift. There's a gift from God for you. And who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now, I'm giving you, I have a gift for you. And this gift is, if you would have asked me for a drink, I would give you it. So it's like, all right. Don't you know all the challenges that were gone? I've tried this before, go to church, all that stuff. But there's a gift of God for you. And if you ask me to go with you somewhere uh, like this, I'd go with you. But it's a gift from God. It, you know, he's just kind of turning it around and trying to get through those barriers that she has erected. If you knew the gift that, I, that is for you, if you knew who it is, so it is a gift and it is a who. <laughs> In the Old Testament, many verses speak of thirsting after God. As the deer panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after you, O God. So the water and panting after God, it's a spiritual thing that Jesus is referring to. If you knew who I am, if you knew who I am, sometimes we forget who we represent. If you knew that I feel that it is God who wants me to speak to you about a gift that he wants to give you. See, this isn't the same old, uh, well, you know, same old thing, yeah, come to church, meet Jesus, yeah, 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 you said that a thousand times. <laughs> I, I remember, uh, and you know, I have lots of stories, but I remember in hospice, the, the guy, you know, his wife went to church all, faithfully for 50, 60 years, and he, you know, she's dying, and he's saying, you know, I, I never went, never did it because I just wanted to, you know. 
egg her on or something, you know. And, uh, he's, and he says, I'm going to go. <laughs> so on her deathbed, he promises her that he's going to church. <laughs> so, the, you know, why couldn't you, why couldn't you have done that a long time ago, you know? You just had to create all these problems. And so the challenge is for us to know that we have a gift. And because someone doesn't receive the gift doesn't mean they won't. And because they won't receive it doesn't mean we shouldn't continue to ask. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? So Jesus is telling her, taking her from what she knows, water in a well, and that there is a container to draw it out. He doesn't have one. This well, at this time, this well is still there. You know, today, it's still there. It's 100 feet deep. <laughs> so how deep it was at the time of Jesus, we don't know. But it was a, a well that water seeped into. It wasn't like a spring. And so it was like the depth of the, there would always be this water that seeps into the bottom of the well. And, and, and it would, I don't know how full it would get, but it's 100 feet deep. So Jesus doesn't have anything to, to draw with. And so the woman is, what? You want well? This water, you don't have a container, it's deep. How are you going to get water out of there? <laughs> when someone makes a statement, do you accept it at face value or do you find out why it's not going to work? <laughs> and, and, you know, you know, yeah, you know are we critical? I know. You know what he asked me? <laughs> You know, he said he wants us to do this. There's no way that's going to work. Huh. Where is he talking about? Well, this is what the woman at the well is looking at. You know, Jesus is talking about living water, and he can't even, he doesn't even bring a pitcher. Well, where this, um, (laughs) was Jesus just trying to trick her? You know, she's all, you know, she doesn't trust the Jews. So the first thing I think she thinks of is, he's just pulling my leg. You know, of course, they'd never say that in those days. That would be vulgar. But anyhow, <laughs> you know, he, he's just trying to trick me. Verse 12. Are you greater than our father Jacob? You know, confronting Jesus. Who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? So she's declaring to Jesus how important this well is. And he is making fun of it, and he's not, make, you know, he's not uh, honoring it as it should be honored. Verse 13. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Well, one sense, that's very logical. If you drink water out of a well, they come twice a day to get water. You're here at noon. You get enough for a whole day. But you see, there's a difference between natural and spiritual water. I listed all a a number of types of water, sparkling water, spring water, glacier water, you know. But this is spiritual water. Verse 14. Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, Walling up into eternal life. <laughs> you ever watch those old uh, westerns? All the time. 
So, in, 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 the, in the Western called Josie Wells, I like that one, uh, and there he has a friend who is an Indian, and he's traveling with him. And they, in, in the course of this whole scenes from almost the beginning to the end, there's this traveling salesman, and he's got his elixir. Well, the medicine show people were the, they had the, the magic water, you know, the medicine, you know, liquid. And so the, in this one scene, the Indian is there in the crowd, and this guy's trying to sell his elixir for a dollar, and the Indian walks by him, and he, he wants him to, Here, are you interested in a bottle? He says, well, what's in it? And the salesman, oh, well, well, I don't know, I'm just a salesman. <laughs> then the Indian says, you drink it. <laughs> the guy like, oh, wow, ooh. what do you expect from a non-believer? <laughs> you know, but the Indian was right, you drink it. I don't know what's in it. Well, whenever we drink of the living water, we know what's in it. It, it, it comes from Jesus. And it's not a miracle water, it's not an elixir, it's the truth of God's word. The truth of God's word that purifies and, and brings peace and, you know, the, the sin of our life is removed and, he, you know, he's doing all this good in our life. So when Jesus met this thirsty woman at the well in Samaria, he offered her this miracle water, living water, the consumption of which would satisfy her thirst forever. Oh, I mean, I don't have to come back here and face all these women again. And I don't have to come at noon when it's so hot. <laughs> Jesus meant spiritual water that would satisfy her spiritual needs. She soon realized he wasn't offering her a kind of water that she would never have to return to the well. He was offering her a relationship with God. Oh. <laughs> Verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir... Give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. You would think that that's the closing moment. She's come to realize she wants this water that Jesus is offering. But you know, Jesus came to that well not only to meet her, but for the message that he had, in, for, and the message of himself he had for the entire village. The whole village was the re is also the reason Jesus showed up. And so we would just, hey, well, yeah, you've given your, here, come to, you know, come to Jesus, confess your sins, and it's all okay. He told her, and then Jesus does this. He says, go get your husband. Well, he should have he stopped meddling. <laughs> you know, he went to meddling instead of praying. You know, preachers, that's, they do that sometimes. You know, they, you know, preacher, stop meddling in my life, you know. Okay, I've been told that a few times. Uh, <laughs> you know, well, anyhow, he told her, go call your husband. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said, you are right when you say you have no husband. In fact, you've had five husbands. And the man you are with now is not your husband. Um, what you have said just is quite true. Now, if you're going to go out of your way to meet someone, you're not, you're think, you're not going to go meet somebody like her. How is someone like her going to influence an entire village, community? 
You see, in our lives, we think and categorize individuals. These are really bad. These are not so bad. These just need to change a little bit. And if we can get this one saved, that's okay. The rest of them, they're not going to make it. (laughs) You know, we can't do that. God can save the very worst and the, the very, almost the very best. God saves all who have sinned. And that God wants to bring them to a relationship with him. So when we discover that Jesus knew all about her private life, she quickly changed the subject. Sir, the woman said, I perceive you're a prophet. (laughs) So (laughs) when she comes to the well, she's, you know, what are you doing asking me for a drink? Jesus gets around that door, that barrier, and she says, give me this water. Then Jesus says, hmm, go get your husband. Oh, no, you've had five how does he know that? You're, I don't want your water anymore. I think you're a prophet. Let's discuss that. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes when people bring up those roadblocks, it's very important to them that it be discussed and resolved. Verse 20. Our ancestors worshipped, and here she's talking about why she believes he's a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. She hoped that this would make, take the conversation away from her and start the debate again between Jews and Samaritans. You know, this was a lifelong battle. And so let's change the subject. Get it off of me and let's go back to fighting about the things we've always fought about. The woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You see... Jesus is letting us know it's not where we worship, it's who we worship. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is of the Jews. What this statement means is that it's only through the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, would the world find salvation. Verse 23. Yet a time is coming and has come when The true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. The living water, spirit and truth, that we worship God for who he is, and that we we recognize that the spirit, the living water of God is flowing, regenerating, cleansing. Verse 24. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and truth. It's meaning that he is not a physical presence, just one place. He is everywhere present at the same time. So we we that worship him must worship him in spirit, in that God is everywhere. He's in our hearts, he's in our lives, but he's wherever we go, he's already there. And so if you worship him, you worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And here is probably one of the most fantastic statements in the Bible. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I'm he. Now, if you're going to reveal yourself as the Messiah, you you don't go to an outcast group and you don't take the, the biggest outcast of the group to reveal yourself. 
That's what he does. She is, she is an outcast of the community. And the Samaritans are outcasts as a people. And Jesus needed to go through Samaria to meet this woman at the well, and he's going to reveal to her, I am the Messiah. <laughs> you see, the worst of sinners, God can reveal to them, Jesus is the Messiah. He can save all from their sins. Just then, the disciples returned and were surprised. <laughs> Jesus is talking with a woman, and especially a Samaritan woman, but they didn't ask. <laughs> we don't want to ask Jesus what he's doing talking to this crazy woman who's a notorious sinner. Then leaving her jar, water jar, verse 28, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? So, she was so impacted by this, this meeting of Jesus. Now, Jesus told her everything about her life. There are probably people in the community who could have told her everything about her life. <laughs> but that wasn't the point. He was telling it from a perspective of, of kindness and of love and forgiveness and that her life could be changed and altered by this encounter that Jesus has come to her through this land of Samaria to meet her at this well at a very specific time. <laughs> and she becomes the evangelist that goes into the city and rounds up the people. I come see a man. Come see a man, the one who knows everything, the prophet, the Messiah. He's come. And, you know, the people, they were looking for an answer. They were looking for a redeemer. They were looking for some sign. And here comes this woman who is the outcast of their, of their community. And she comes and tells them, I found the Messiah. <laughs> and what happens? The people come out. And verse 35, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. If you think about it, we, we have a season to plant, we have a season to harvest, and Jesus is telling his disciples, the woman who went to the town, she has spread the news and the city is coming out across the fields. And I'm telling you, the harvest is not four months from now, the harvest is right now. <laughs> the harvest of souls is coming to you. <laughs> Verse 37, thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. That they were going to reap the harvest that had been sown by the prophets of the Old Testament and Jacob, and even though they had been cut off seemingly from the truth of Judaism, they still clung to the idea they were descendants of Jacob. Then Verse 39, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Now, it would seem that he told me everything I ever did, that she would regret that. But Jesus told her what she had done, but he told it from a perspective of forgiveness and cleansing. 
You see, there's a difference from telling people about what they've done and they feel condemned and, and, and hurtful and they've ruined their lives and things have gone wrong. And what happens then? They become depressed, discouraged, and they walk away. But this woman doesn't walk away discouraged and depressed. She comes to the city and she comes to Jesus and she knows that her life has changed forever. He told me everything I ever did. And he still loves me. He forgives me. Wow. I can stand tall now knowing that my life, my life has changed by meeting this man at the well. <laughs> so whenever we look at people, let us have that same perspective. Not what the, I, Jesus knows everything you've done. He still loves you. He still has a place for you. He has a purpose for your life. And it's important that we come see the man who can change our lives. Amen? Jesus, we thank you that we can come to you and find forgiveness and love, that we can come to you and know that you know everything about us. You never turn us aside. You keep calling us to come to you. So thank you, Jesus, for hearing our prayers, our prayer of confession, our prayer of seeking forgiveness, of drinking of the well of the water of life that flows from heaven, flows from Jesus Christ. Father, forgive us of our sins. Establish our life. Continue to allow the river of life to wash us and cleanse us and make us clean. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Amen.